Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you here today. As uh, we've been talking about for the past several weeks, this is the first Sunday of our campaign, How to Think Like a Christian. And so I'm glad that you're here um, uh, to join us in this study uh, that we start today. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Romans chapter 12. Uh, I will also be reading this passage for you here today, but we'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we're all aware of what I'm about to say. It's not something new, and it's not something that we haven't talked about before, but we have a very distinct challenge in front of us. Every single moment of every single day, we live in a world that has a pattern to the way it operates. It has a set of values It has rules, it has laws, it likes things one way and doesn't like them another way. There are things that are tolerated and there are things that are not tolerated. And this pattern doesn't just apply to the way that the world works, if you want to call it natural law or anything else. It also applies to the way that the world thinks. The world that we live in has ideas about how things should go. We are surrounded by these ideas constantly. And depending on who you talk to, they may give you a very different idea of how things should go than if you talk to someone else. They may give you a different answer entirely. But the thing about living in this world is that it has a pattern. It has a way of being, it has a way of operating, and we live in that pattern every single day. That pattern affects the decisions that we make, it affects what we do with our time and our resources, it affects everything about us, whether we are aware of it or not. Now, some of the ideas that we encounter are good. It's not the good ones that I'm worried about necessarily. Some of them are bad, but there are some that don't sound bad. They they sound good and they sound like something that God would say, even if it's not something that God would say. Can I give you an example? There are a lot of people in the world that do good things. Are you really telling me? that God would exclude a good person from heaven because that just doesn't seem right. Or how about this one? Isn't God the giver of all good things? Doesn't God bless you with everything you have? Then wouldn't God want you to take care of yourself and your family first? I mean, shouldn't you have the kind of life that a hardworking good person desires? Or how about this one? Isn't God love? 
Isn't he in control of all things? Well, if he is, then why would he allow these awful things to happen to you? Either God is not good or is not love or he doesn't exist at all. Now, here's the thing about those statements. Those statements are tricky, right? Because they try to take something that seems to be true, but then change what the truth of that thing means. And sometimes these ideas even sound good. They sound like something that should be true. They sound like something that should be right. They sound like something that God would want to happen. But here's the thing, okay? As Christians, we are followers of whom? Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to listen to one voice. Not many voices, but one voice. We are called to not conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, and this is important, we are called to be transformed, not conformed, but transformed. Because you see, when we live in the world, we are going to live by its rules, by its laws, by everything it says. But instead, Paul says we are not to conform, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are to learn to think in a different way. Than the world around us thinks. And here's the thing. Only when we are transformed and we learn to think a different way, will we be able to tell the difference between God's will and the things that are not God's will. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. May God transform the way that we think. And as we are transformed, may we, as those who call ourselves Christians, cling to the message of Jesus Christ, who is the one who gives us identity and purpose and meaning. Amen. Amen. So again, uh, welcome to the first week of our campaign. Uh, over the next eight weeks, we are going to be... Uh, Studying together on Sunday morning, uh, how to think like a Christian. We have small groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, so I want to encourage you that if you are not yet signed up for a small group, uh, you haven't found one that meets your time or schedule or time or place, uh, please talk to uh, Randy Mason this morning, or you can also talk to Kelly. Um, Randy's upstairs. So uh, if you are not yet plugged into a small group, uh, please do so. And you will know why after I finish preaching today. Um, <laughs> the small groups are going to be absolutely uh, essential in helping you to discuss 
uh, all of the things that we are going to be talking about uh, in our sermons on Sunday morning and uh, being able to follow up and ask questions and, and do all that sort of stuff. So go to a small group. Uh, that is my moral for you there. There are a couple of things I want to let you know. And I mentioned this last week, your small group leaders can tell you all about these if you need any help ordering them. But there are two books that you are welcome to get. You don't have to get them, uh, but if you would like to, you are welcome to. The first one is uh, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God by Jeff Myers. And the second one is The Participant's Guide, uh, which you can use in your small groups. If you are interested in either of these things, uh, again, talk to your small group leader or come up and talk to me or Kelly uh, or anyone that's on our team, and you can, they can give you uh, some instructions. What we're going to tell you is to look them up on Amazon. So just uh, hate to spoil the end of the story there. Uh, one other thing, and that is my sermon notes are going to be available to you um, by Sunday. So they will be posted at some point uh, on Sunday during the day. So... If there is information or things that you didn't get or you want to look at again, you can always listen to the sermon, but my notes will always will also be available to you in case you need them. Okay, sound good? We covered a lot of bases there. Yeah? All right. And as always, um, feel free to ask questions, and um, uh, particularly after service, if there's things that uh, that I can talk with you about, I'd love to do that. So I want to start out this morning uh, by talking about ideas. And that word idea is one that we use in, in all sorts of different ways. And the connotation of that word can cover a wide range of things. For example, you might have an idea to go out and get pizza for dinner, right? I have an idea. Zeke is very fond of saying, I have an idea. Uh, I have an idea. Let's go get So that's one kind of idea. Uh, another on the opposite end of that spectrum, you might have the idea that your spouse is cheating on you. Now, those are two very different ideas, right? But we all, we cover them with the same word, this word idea. And if we actually start thinking about ideas, um, it's kind of a complex concept. They are these agents that once they get into our head, it's hard to get rid of an idea. When we hear an idea, we are constantly evaluating whether it's true or whether it's false. And some ideas will just stick whether we want it to or not. For example, I could tell you that uh, over the past couple of weeks, we have had ants in our house. And uh, not, not as bad as we have had ants before, but for some reason they decided to come in and visit. And they're these little, little teeny tiny ants. And so uh, we found them in the kitchen. And so we cleaned up the kitchen and got them out of there. And then the next, like maybe two days later, uh, we found them in the entryway because Nisha had left something edible in one of her purses. And so they were just like, oh, I know, I know. Now you see what I have to live with, okay? <laughs> it was just candy. It was just, and apparently ants like candy. I mean, who knew? And so we were cleaning up ants. And so, um, but... Nisha, you know, after we left, you know, she sent me a text because she went somewhere with the boys and she sent me this text back. And you know how it is when you clean up ants. What do you, do you then feel for the next couple of hours? You feel ants, right? Crawling on your skin. And I actually did. I found a couple. I would find a couple like here or there. So now one of two things is happening to each of you in this room. Either you are feeling ants on your skin right now, even though there are no ants on your skin. Or when you get home, you are going to immediately check your closets and your pantry and your kitchen to see if there are ants anywhere, right? 
all just because I presented an idea to you. And not even an idea that I wanted to influence you with. Like I, I didn't care what you thought about it one way or the other. But that idea gets into your head. Ideas like, you know when you leave the house and you wonder if something is on? Uh, I cannot tell you how many times I have left the house and driven back to see if the garage door was closed. Like You would think that I would learn. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have that app. Perhaps I, perhaps I need it. But the, you know, here, and it's the craziest thing, because almost every time I've closed the garage door, let's say 95% of the time I've closed the garage door. So I close the garage door, I pull my car out of the driveway, I get out of sight of my house, and I think, did you close the garage door? And I can't let go of it, even though I just did it. I guess I don't remember that I just did it, so I have to turn my car around to go back and check and see, and then I feel like a dummy. But usually I only do it once per day, so that's that's good. But what's the point? Um, whether big or small, whether consequential or inconsequential, an idea has the power to change the way we think, to alter our behavior, and influence the way that we see the world. It's just a matter of fact. And because of this, ideas can be very dangerous things. Uh, some of you may remember when this happened. You may not remember when this happened. But back in 2006, uh, the Duke lacrosse team, and these are some, some of just the, the basic details here. Uh, three of the four captains of the Duke men's lacrosse team, they held a day-long party uh, for their teammates in their, the off-campus house that they lived in. And uh, they're at Duke in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, as one of the highlights of this party, they hired an exotic dancer to come in and to dance for them. And they paid her $800 to come in and do this. So she she comes, uh, something happens. She leaves and she goes to the police and she tells the police that she was sexually assaulted in the bathroom. She's black. All of the players are white. She's poor. All the players are wealthy. And so she gives, tells them what happens and all these bits and pieces of it. And um, the, the story caught fire, unlike almost anything we've seen before. Uh, and it started just with local news, but within a couple of days, uh, there were people out there all the time. And and, and the news really caught up on it. I mean, it was reported everywhere. This, uh, this is an actual quote from the public editor of the New York Times at the time, and time. And what he said was, it was white over black. It was male over female. It was rich over poor. It was educated over uneducated. My God, all the things we know happen in the world coming together in one place. And the journalists start to quiver with the thrill when something like that happens. There was a local uh, journalist there in the Durham area who wrote this article. And it was in with like the first, I don't know, a couple of weeks, month or so. And the article basically said, you know, we know that you know. You need to come out and tell us what happened. And she laid into these people. Everyone believed it. Everyone believed that it happened. There were rallies on campus 
There were people marching in the streets. The house that they lived in, people were protesting and camping outside of their house. They were marching down the street with a sign that said castration across the front. People were calling for them to be taken out and beaten or even killed. It got crazy. The whole story did. And this is a quote from um, Bradley Bannon, who actually ended up being an attorney for one of the players. And this is what he said. I had absolutely no problem believing that rich, white, elite young men would take advantage of a young African-American woman they had hired to come and perform for them. Everyone heard the story, and they immediately believed it. They believed the sexual assault had happened. But here's the thing. None of it was true. Or at least, at the very, very least, none of it was provable at all. It wasn't provable at all. But here's what happened. The district attorney at the time who was put into the office on just an interim basis took a hold of the case and he ran with it. And he even indicted three players, even though there was not enough evidence to indict them. And then he buried evidence, DNA evidence, that proved they weren't, had no contact with her. He actually buried it so that it wouldn't come out. And this is the most amazing part of the story to me, okay? The, the guy whose picture that was just up, he's a lawyer. He's not a scientist. He read a DNA textbook over four straight days. And when the DNA expert came in, they weren't expecting him to come in. When he came in on the fly, he had to question the DNA expert about everything that was in the report. And he tore it apart. Absolutely tore it apart. And then the nation was left with this moment. <laughs> what have we done? Right? What is true? And there were people even after the fact that were saying, well, just because it wasn't proved doesn't mean it, it didn't happen. Just because... You know, they said it didn't happen. And, and here's the thing. I want to be very clear about something. False rape allegations are few and far between. Um, a 2000 study by uh, an organization called Violence Against Women uh, said only 2 to 10% of rape allegations are false. So 90% or more are true every time. And we have certainly been dealing with this uh, here in our country and in our universities over the last couple of years. But in this case... It wasn't true. But an idea took root. What was the idea? These wealthy, white, elitist athlete snobs absolutely did this to her. And people were ready to kill them for it. And it didn't even happen. But by the time the truth came out, it was too late. I mean... They had lived for a year like this. For a year. They lived under this weight and had become national villains. So this teaches us something that is important for us to realize this morning. Ideas don't have to be dangerous, but they certainly can be. They don't have to be dangerous, but they certainly can be. And it is clear that wrong ideas can take a hold and not let go. Now, first, let's define a couple of terms that are going to be important for us as we go through this study together. Um, the first is the term idea. What is an idea? Um, ideas are thoughts and suggestions about what we ought to do. 
Okay, so ideas are not necessarily uh, what you would call a belief or a mission statement or anything like that. It's just it's something that influence that influences our thoughts and suggests what we ought to do. And our ideas are largely determined. Um, they largely determine our understanding of life's meaning, and, and they guide us in the way that we live. Uh, and there are important questions that we all ask at some time in our lives, and we have ideas about them. Questions like, "Am I loved?" If I were to disappear from the face of the earth, would anybody notice? Questions like, uh, why do I hurt? Bad things have happened to me. I can't seem to overcome those bad things. Will I ever find peace with what's going on? Does my life have meaning? Is it possible for me to find direction or am I just going to keep wandering and bouncing from one thing to another? Uh, why can't we all get along? Why does there always seem to be so much fighting and anger and bitterness? I mean, we find ourselves now on the brink of nuclear war. Like, can't we all step away from this and say, this seems like a bad thing for humanity? Number five, <laughs> on top of that, is there any hope for the world? Because it certainly seems like we can't step away from things and do what's best for humanity. So these are all questions that all of us ask, and the ideas that we're surrounded by and that we have, they're going to help us form answers to this question. And so whatever way that we answer these questions, whatever ideas that are helping us form uh, these answers, the way we look at the world comes from that. And, and just a simple way to, to, to phrase that is a worldview. Your worldview is the way that you look at the world. And your worldview is formed by all kinds of different things. It's, uh, it's formed by how you grew up, what your parents were like, what your experiences have been like, what kind of job you have, what kind of people you're around, what kind of books you read, what kind of movies you watch, what kind of music you listen to. Your worldview is formed by all of these different kinds of things. And your worldview takes ideas and it evaluates them and says, well, I think this is true because it seems to resonate with how I view the world. Or it says, I think this is not true because it doesn't really resonate with how I view the world. But the thing about the way you view the world, and you all know this is true, is that the way we view the world constantly changes, doesn't it? A new idea is presented to us. And what do we have to do with that new idea? Well, we have to decide whether we are going to adopt it into our worldview or not. So at any given time, an idea can be presented to us that can change the way we see the world. Yes? You with me? Okay, good. Because we're just getting started. <laughs> so if you weren't with me yet, let me give you just an example of that though. The question, I am loved. That's a huge question, right? And based on someone's experience in life and people they know and all these things, they're going to answer that question a certain way. All right? Now, what is the difference between the worldview of someone who answers that question, yes, I am loved, versus someone who answers the question, no, I am not loved? Vastly different. How those two people will see the world, right? If one person believes that they are valued for who they are and another person believes they have no value, I mean, you couldn't have more different world-forming views 
or ideas than that. As much as we might like to think that we make all of our own determinations about who we are and what the world is like, the truth is that we are heavily, heavily influenced. Even we as Christians who follow Jesus Christ and who read our Bible and do all these things, we are heavily influenced by many different voices around us. And um, Jeff Myers, who wrote this material, uh, his sort of core principle that he wants us to understand uh, this morning is that ideas can be a lot like viruses. Okay? Ideas can be a lot like viruses. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, in 2014, and, and you might remember this, there was an Ebola outbreak that occurred in the African nation of Guinea. Um, and a critical care physician named Rob Fowler traveled to Guinea to offer his help, knowing that he could be, uh, this could be a death sentence by him going there. He could contract Ebola. Um, so he arrived at uh, the Kaip Hospital in Kanakri, where doctors and nurses, uh, th- those who had been fighting Ebola there in their community, had all been infected with the disease they were trying to fight. And he found something really interesting when he got into the hospital. All the doctors and nurses who were infected were there, but there were very few other people there that were receiving treatment for the Ebola virus. And so he asked where the other patients were, and he was told that all the other patients ran away. And the reason they ran away was because they heard that if you went to the hospital, the doctors were making you sick. And possibly you could die from what the doctors were going to give you. And so what did they then do? They had the Ebola virus. They wouldn't go to the hospital to get treated, so where did they go? Back to their homes and their families and their friends, which meant the virus spread, right? And it spread further and further and further. Um, And so some 3,800 people in Guinea came down with Ebola, and more than 2,500 people died. So that's a pretty serious thing. Now, viral outbreaks are very difficult to stop. Um, viruses aren't alive, but they can't really die. And because, uh, and they're also all over the place. We, we don't want to know how many viruses are actually around us. It's just better. This is one of those ignorance is bliss moments for us. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't, I also don't want to know what germs are on the shopping cart handle, right? I just don't, I don't need to know that. Um, but here's the tricky thing about, about viruses. Um, viruses, um, the, the, the organisms, the cells, whatever they are, they are often coated in protein. And so when they come into the body, the body recognizes what? The protein. And our body uses protein, right? But the virus is in the middle of this protein clump, teeny, teeny, tiny protein clump. And so by the time the body gets through the protein and discovers the virus is there, what's already happened? The virus has already infected the person, and then they're having to fight um, this whole thing. Now, with a lot of viruses, uh, your body can react quickly enough. Like with a cold, for example, it's nowadays it's not a death sentence to get a cold. Okay, your body can fight it, and you can take some medicine that will help you um, get through the symptoms of the cold, but... With things like Ebola, it's much more different because one of the things, it gets past that alarm system and because the virus is so much more serious, once it's in the body, it's hard to stop it. 
particularly if people are running from medical care because they think the doctors are making them sick. So ideas. How, ide- how are ideas like a virus? Well, ideas and bad ideas in particular can act just like a virus because they can multiply out of control and they can take root and sometimes you don't realize how serious an idea is until you realize how much it's affected how you see the world and everything around you. Uh, and in truth, uh, ideas, particularly today, can spread a lot faster than a virus can. We have a president that currently commutes o- or communicates over Twitter, which means and this is this is remarkable, truly remarkable. We can know at almost any given time, what the president of the United States thinks about something. If you ever consider, I mean, whatever you think about what he's saying, we can know at almost any given time what the president of the United States thinks about some current issue. That's bananas, my friends. That, that, that level of access is, is the world that we're living in now. That you could actually probably send him a message and he, he may reply back, you never know. So ideas today are traveling around faster than ever before. Um, And even though ideas that are bad can cause great damage, it is difficult to accurately identify bad ideas uh, until they have struck. And it's for this reason. And this is an important concept. This is something I want you to to latch onto this morning. Bad ideas can hitch a ride on something that otherwise seems completely harmless. So in other words, they can coat themselves in protein, (laughs) get into your system, and before you know it, it has taken root. Bad ideas, in fact, can attach themselves to truth so that they sound good and they sound like good ideas, even though at their core, they are not. Now, this is not a new concept. In fact, this concept is a very, very biblical concept. And Satan has been using this trick since the beginning of time. When the serpent approached Eve in the garden, did it walk up to her, well, crawl up to her, I suppose, and say, disobey God? No. Instead, it says, why can't you eat from this tree? Well, God said we would surely die. You will not die The real reason is that you will become like God. The idea is planted in her head. God threatened you to not or told you not to do this, so you don't do it. But what's the real reason? What's the real reason why he told you not to do this? And what does Eve do? She eats from the apple, ruining the lives of men for the rest of history. (laughs) Just kidding. Open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 13. If you think, I mean, that's a pretty obvious example, but this one is one that really captures my imagination a little bit because it tells us how, how, how crafty Satan is, for one thing, but also how he is using these ideas in such a harmful way. So Revelation chapter 13, lots of things have happened in the book of Revelation up to this point, um, but here's where we basically are. There, there was a dragon 
that the angels were fighting against up in heaven and the dragon was cast down out of heaven. And so the dragon ends up here on the earth and the dragon basically becomes the power here on earth. It is in charge. It is the one uh, that's going to sort of run the show here. Uh, if you So if you have your Bibles, look at chapter 13, verses 2 through 4. Because the next thing that happens is there's a beast that comes up out of the sea. The dragon, uh, starting in verse 2, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast, who can wage war against it? Now there's a third thing that comes out, and this is the beast from the earth. Look at verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, that's a lot of imagery there. But do you see what Satan did? Satan took the model that God created. The father... The son who was sacrificed and lived and the spirit who carries out the work of the father and the son and whose first coming was noted by what? Fire. Tongues of fire over the head of the believers. And so Satan has lost the fight in heaven, but he still wants to win those who are left here on earth. And so instead of just coming down and saying, I'm Satan, he comes down and he takes the model that God had created, which is the little piece of truth, and completely alters it. So it looks true. After all, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there was the Son who was sacrificed yet still lived, and there was the Spirit who came and who did all of these things. But the main difference is in instead of uh, getting this uh, loving father, humble son, and indwelling spirit, instead we get all of these great manifestations of human power. There is nothing that can stand in front of these three creatures. And what happens to those who are left and not in the book of the Lamb? They worship them and make them their God. So don't tell me that Satan doesn't know how to get to us. Because he does. He knows how to get to us. And he's not always going to walk right up to us and say, do something bad. Right? He's going to use things that are good or that seem true. And he's going to try to manipulate us 
into doing those things. We even see Satan try this trick on Jesus. When Jesus is tempted in Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, something I want you to notice about how Satan tries to tempt Jesus. The things he says to Jesus are not lies. They are what? True. Is he the son of God? Yes. Can he turn a stone into bread? Yes. If he were to throw himself off of the highest point, would angels catch him and keep him from falling? Yes. Those things are all true. He does not come out to Jesus and say, disobey your father. Instead, he comes out to Jesus and says, you can do this, can't you? I know you can. It's part of who you are. So why don't you just do it? And it's not until the third time that he actually breaks, just gives up and says, okay, just worship me. And Jesus says, no. But something we need to note, how does Jesus fight back against Satan's attempts? He goes back to what God has told him. Yes, I can do that thing, but this is what God has told me. Yes, I can jump off of here, but this is what God has told me. That's how he keeps his presence in the middle of that. But surely we Christians know the difference between what God wants and what God doesn't want. I mean, some of you grew were born in a church building okay so surely we know at this point we have the bible we come to church we pray we do all these things and yes we have that we have the background we have the history we have the bible we have the word of god but we are also strongly encouraged by several different voices to see the world through eyes other than god's and so there are different worldviews that we're surrounded by, and we're going to talk about five of them over the next several weeks. But here's what they are. The first one is secularism. Okay? Um, secularism is basically, we are it. Okay? Humanity, this is the place to be. And it claims that we can use human intelligence to control life and make it turn out the way that we want. There is no God. There is no destiny. There is no fate. We are the lords of this land. Secularism. Number two, and this is an interesting one that I wouldn't have considered, but Marxism, which declares that life is about capital and the true path to peace and equality is through the overthrow of all existing social structures. There are those who live in this world that want government government, economic systems, family, religions, all those things to just go away and for the people to live under one system. This is one that you've probably heard a lot and maybe have never had defined for you. It's a 
It's a popular term today. But postmodernism, and here's one of the characteristic traits of postmodernism. It insists that objective truth, truth that is true for everybody, with a capital T, does not exist. The only truth that exists is subjective, lowercase t. And that truth is something that you get to decide for yourself. New spirituality. We may be a little familiar with this here in Sonoma County. Uh, it's maybe something that you've heard of uh, once or twice. But this inserts, asserts, I should say, that a higher consciousness or God force is at the core of reality. But that God force is completely undefined. And there are a multitude of different ways that you can plug yourself into the energy of the universe. I just pulled that off the top of my head right there. That was pretty good, though. I feel like I'm from Sebastopol. <laughs> it was. It was destined to come. Uh, and then the last one, Islam, which also seems like an interesting one here, but it teaches that everyone is born Muslim in submission to Allah and must conform to Islamic truth or be conquered through uh, jihad, the struggle against anything that is opposed to Allah and Islam. Now, something I want you to understand really quickly. These are at best, thumbnail sketches at what each of these things are. So I want to recognize, first of all, that the description that we just gave is incredibly short. But we are going to look into each of these because each of these worldviews, they tell us something about God. They tell us something about right and wrong, about life, the soul, society, government, law, money, and history. And the difficult thing about them is that in multiple ways, they have attached themselves to the truth of God and in some cases changed the essential message. Okay? Change the essential message. Um, Barna Group is a group that um, does a lot of surveys, a lot of studies, looks into a lot of different uh, things, and this is what they found. Uh, and they found this information by asking people a, a whole lot of different questions and um, getting what they think about different different things. And, and here's what they've determined. They determined that within Christianity, only 17% of practicing Christians have a view of the world that is consistent with the view that the Bible tries to lay out. Which means what? 83% have inconsistencies. And how they view the world and whether that matches up with what God, how God would have them view the world. 83%. Let me, and, and here's what they found. 61% of those polled agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. 54 resonate with postmodernist views. 36 accepted ideas associated with Marxism. 29 believed ideas based on secularism. And 38 were sympathetic to different ideas from Islam. Which means that when they questioned all these people, these ideas were present in that amount with all of these different groups. So what does that actually look like? Okay, if we're saying that the Christian worldview is influenced by all these other voices, what does that mean and how does that actually translate? Well, here's an example from just New Spirituality. Okay, 28% strongly agree with the statement that all people pray to the same God or spirit no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. It's all the same. 23% strongly agree that many religions can lead to eternal life, 
there is no one true religion. I don't know why there's an and there. Let me look. And 32% strongly agree with the karmic belief that if you do good, you will receive good. If you do bad, you will receive bad. Okay? And they have adopted these. Here's And here's where we need to make the connection. They have adopted these principles into their understanding of who God is and what it means to be a Christian in the world. Now, God has always been concerned about the influences that other voices have on our way of thinking. We gave just three examples this morning of how Satan has tried to come at us, tried to come at Jesus in ways to influence us. And the Revelation story, what's so scary to me about that is that is how well it worked. You know, is how well that, as John is looking ahead and receiving this revelation, it works. People worship the beast. But we are under attack constantly. Uh, we are constantly being bombarded with ideas that want to change our view of God. And this is something that has been a sticking point with people for a long time in terms of their understanding of who God is. But God has been concerned about this pretty much since the beginning, and he has good reason to. Uh, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. God actually instructed his people when they were going into the land to stay away from everyone else and or even more strongly to make sure that they get rid of everything so that they won't be influenced. From Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. When the Lord your God brings you out into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your, your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. What is God worried about? These are people that have been here for a long time. You are a nomadic ex-slave people. And you're going to go into these places where all of them are bigger than you. And what are you going to see? Malls. Hospitals. Structure. Houses. Homes. Walls. Idols. Other gods. And so God says, when you go into these places, what are you to do? Drive them out completely or destroy them. Because if you leave any trace of them, it will influence you. Was God right? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the, the biggest traps that the people of God fall to in the Old Testament over and over again is worshiping foreign gods. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Over and over and over and over again. They are exposed to an idea, and that idea takes root. Paul reinforces this idea in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, where he says, Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are to arm ourselves against the devil's what? Schemes. Not his action, his plans, his schemes, his ideas. The struggle that we face is for our minds, the way that we think, the way that we view the world. Because Satan knows if he can influence the way that we think, he can pull us away from God. Plain and simple. If he can change the way that we think, he can pull us away from God. And so Paul tells us we are supposed to fight. Fight against that. Ideas have consequences. We can't avoid asking the core questions about life that come with being human and we'll always be driven to seek answers and we're always going to look for answers from our experience and from things around us. But the one thing that stands out to me through all of this, and we're almost done, is this. We need a reliable guide. It is hard, (laughs) difficult to hear multiple voices. And if you don't have a reliable guide to tell which way to go, which decision to make, which way you want to see the world. Trusting in God is the answer for us. Looking for what God wants us to do is the answer. But God, it's hard to do that when we are surrounded by so many things and so many things that sound good. But here is what, and we're not going to get into this in depth today, but here is what the Bible has to say about those questions. Instead of asking, am I loved? God says, yes, you are loved. That deep, unconditional love exists and that you can have it. He says your suffering will be overcome. He says the hurt that you feel will not win. In fact, it is already lost. It says that you have a calling that your life has meaning, that you are the bearer of the image of God. And that as you go out into this place, you are his. That you are meant to live in community, that you can overcome conflict with others and that you can challenge yourselves to love one another in a way that is extraordinary. And there is hope for the world. We are not doomed Because Jesus came and sacrificed himself for us and there is hope. Amen? Amen. In all places, in all times, in all things. Bad ideas want to convince us that love isn't real, that suffering is meaningless, that our lives have no purpose, that we're alone, and that the end is unavoidable. But we have a God who speaks something different to us. That when all of those things are yelling at us to change who we are and what we do and what we think that God whispers in our ear. You are mine. I love you. Follow me.
So what is our objective? One, we want to know what we're up against. We want to identify the voices that we hear. We want to be able to recognize them. And secondly, we want to be able to tell the difference between those things and what God wants us to do or who God wants us to be. That is what we want to accomplish here through this study. Now, some of you may already be worried. Well, but that idea does seem true. Or that does seem right. Or what does this mean for this? Or what does this mean for that? Let me encourage you to do one thing, okay? Before you get too worked up, take a deep breath, okay? We have eight weeks and then the rest of our lives to work on this and try to figure this out. And we're going to do it together because that is what God has called us to do as a community of believers, to come together and to confirm what we believe and to seek God's voice amidst, amongst all the other voices and to help each other, love each other, to follow God no matter where he might go, and no matter how hard it might be, and no matter how different his voice is from the pattern of this world. I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited because it's going to be a good time. And we're going to grow together as a community. Let's pray as we finish. Jesus, you are at the heart of who we are. You have shown us who you are. And in showing us yourself, you have shown us who God is. And God, I'm humbled this morning by the fact that when you showed the world who God is, they did not know what to do with that. They could not handle a God who was so loving, who was so powerful, who was so caring, who wanted so much for his people. But God, you hold out the same promise to us today. That you do love us, that you did make us, that you have plans for us. And Father, we want to hear your voice. I want to hear it louder than the other voices. I want to know how to find your voice amongst all the others. And so, Father, as we seek you, may we find you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in such an amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.